Thank you for joining us. Lock the door behind you. Please make sure the towel is properly positioned. Pete has the fan going. The citrus is ready. The product is ready too. Uh, you're walking on another $5 buzz. I'm George Kursar. As always, Roger Mayer is with us uh, in, the, in the captain's chair in Los Angeles. How are you, Roger? Doing fantastic. Thank you, sir. Good. Good to hear from you and Pete in Los Angeles as well. How are you? How how is your how is your world, Pete? <laughs> My world is great, man. I'm actually excited. Uh, we're gonna catch up with a few uh, very interesting folks here uh, that we yeah. know well. Uh, looking forward to this. Yeah. So tonight we're joined by Scott Peterson and uh, Giovanna. Uh, can you just give? I just want to say your name properly because give me the proper phonetics to it. Dorazio, you got it, Giovanna Dorazio. Giovanna Dorazio. Like in, uh, like what was, uh, what was that um, movie, Inglorious Bastards? Say it with the romance. <laughs> Dominic <laughs> DiCicco. <laughs> Listen, with my Neanderthal accent, it'll never sound uh, as poetic as you say it, so I'm glad that uh, you introduced it that way. And um, they join us from Saratoga Springs. Uh, Scott, we've had a conversation with... Uh, someone from Saratoga Springs who even referred to it as the recession-proof town. So uh, thanks for taking time today. Um, now, you guys just uh, launched a podcast. Uh, would you mind just telling everyone a little bit uh, what that's about and uh, how that came about? Yeah, uh, thanks for having us, guys. Um, you know, I really like what you're doing here, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. So we uh, we have a law practice in, in New York, and we, we kind of recognize that legal issues that come up in the news all the time are pretty, pretty often misreported or they're reported in a way that's really inaccurate. And much of what people see and read, they, they just aren't really, they don't understand it. It's not because, you know, they're not intelligent enough to understand it. It's because it's just not portrayed accurately. And so we thought we could put something together that would just make things, make legal issues understandable and kind of take a common sense approach to, to explaining what's happening in, around cases and, and lawsuits and all the kind of stuff that is salaciously reported in the media. So we launched this podcast, it's called Talk Lex, uh, Lex being the Latin word for law that Giovanni came up with. Uh, and right. so we, we started rolling with it. So that's, that's, that's where we are on that. And you two both attended Albany Law School. And from what I've noticed over like the last 20 years or so is Albany's kind of risen in prominence, I guess, most uh, easily noticeable by the public by like their sports programs. I see them in uh, the NCAA tournament. Their lacrosse team is, is high in the rankings all the time. But I'm also noticing out in the wider world, uh, a lot of graduates from the finance world and you know, medicine, um, technology, but uh, you two are graduated from the law school. What was it like uh, going to law school in, you know, this epicenter of law and politics in New York State? Uh, that had to be pretty interesting, right? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, Albany, sometimes being in upstate New York, you can get a little bit of uh, like small town. It's not as good as being in New York City or not as prestigious. But I think, um, you know, it's an interesting place to live. It's sort of like a little city, same like Saratoga, but also in the country. And we have a lot of, you know, good law firms up there, places where you can get good experience. The state legislature is all there. The governor's office is there. Um, you know, we have the New York State Court of Appeals, the highest 
court in the state is there. So it's a, it's a good place to go to law school and get a lot of kind of practical experience. Yeah. And you know, it's, it was, it was cool when you, when you're young and you're kind of coming up in the, in the, in the world and where we, where I, you know, where I went to Potsdam college with you guys and uh, I didn't have a whole lot of experience traveling in the legal world. And so when I was coming up in Albany and interning at law firms and you, you'll, you'll go into a mix into a, an event and you're talking with like the highest judges in the state and judges who you, know, you wouldn't have access to otherwise and people and polit politicians and, and high level people that are, are pretty, pretty influential throughout the state and often nationally. And so it was a pretty cool experience as a young 20 something with, with really not much to go by at that point to kind of see how things worked and kind of get some back in back back room access uh, you know in that in that way right awesome, and man. um it's interesting that there's this very large story going on right now which is um of significance because for you it's a local story but it's also a national story and you know in many ways it could even be a global story but uh, we're talking about the situation with Governor Cuomo, who there's several allegations about, uh, I guess the best way to say it is uh, maybe sexual misconduct. Is that the proper way to, to describe what's going on? Yeah, he's um, had a lot of sexual harassment allegations against him lately, some of them workplace related, some of them outside of, of work. So that that has he his uh how the mighty have fallen is sort of a good explanation for him at the moment because he was riding pretty high on his coronavirus response at the very beginning yeah, yeah. the guys you know cuomo's year has been sort of shakespearean you know he has this mm -hmm. he has this huge rise when COVID hits and obviously <laughs> george you're you're in new york and are you in new york metropolitan area. yeah and when when this when this hit in February March, New York was really the epicenter. And right. Cuomo, he he gets he's get he's getting probably rightfully so criticized for his his handling of nursing home cases during COVID. But overall, he he took a big leadership position, and it was very obviously contrasted with what happened with with you know at the national level during all this. And so he's riding this wave where people are tuning in to his news conferences like it's the Beatles, and and. People are just hanging on this guy's every word, and uh, and he's controlling really the, the 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 emotion and the sentiment throughout the state, and, and you know in a lot of ways throughout parts of the country. And then he's he's riding high. He writes himself a book. He does a victory lap like halfway through, uh, and then all of a sudden this stuff starts hitting, and it it hits as it often does to people with power. It, it's it's been hitting hard and hitting often <laughs> so far. Uh, before the pandemic, wasn't he kind of going in a downward spiral? The pandemic helped shoot him back up. Yeah, I, would say he, I, I don't know if I'd call it a downward spiral, but I would say he's he's look, he's been in office for a long time, and inevitably, especially when you've got a personality like his, you make a lot of enemies. And he he's a he's a difficult guy, and I think he he was certainly running into some more headwinds than he probably had, in, you know, in, in the in the past, but it's like any other uh, national catastrophe. It, it, it gives some people exactly the tailwind that they need to pull themselves out of it. It's a good distraction. It would don't you think Giuliani and yeah. during 9-11. Yeah. I mean, don't you think exactly. that? Very, very good analogy, yeah. 
don't you think that that cavalier attitude though is now becoming a red flag when a guy like Cuomo who as Roger points out is unpopular a tragedy hits he seizes on an opportunity with a very unpopular president to to put it to pit himself opposite and hey I don't think any of us would argue that the guy was an asshole but now look at him all of that good just gone Shakespearean as you said because I'll just never get it. I think it. I think it just points to a larger point that these baby boomers have to be out of leadership. But that's a whole another discussion. Well, well, you're you're right. And the, one of the hard things with a, with a guy like Cuomo, and it's it's sort of similar, depending on where you stand politically. And we don't have to get into the politics of it, but arguably, he did he he did a lot of good. Uh, during his his tenure, and he did a lot of good in in on some pretty progressive issues that he he got through based upon the exact same personality that's gotten him into trouble now. And he he jammed you know, gun control some gun control laws, uh, same sex marriage. What else? He 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 got a lot of things accomplished uh, in 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 a way that was not necessarily the most uh, uh, democratic, but he got it done and, and now that's come back to kind of I think life. I saw a New York Post headline this morning that <laughs> he's he favored uh he he started rifling his family through getting COVID testing early on too yeah. and stuff like that now it's just like they're just it's a pile on <laughs> it's yeah that's like today's <laughs> thing to add to the to the pile of stuff that's getting thrown out there I saw that too I have uh, a question but, just like in general um Giovanna you know, we're living in a time where, you know, people seem for the most part, more reasonable, more accepting, uh, more, uh, you know, access to information. And it seems like there's a real push to uh, change things from the way they've always been done, uh, whether that's, you know, through movements like the Black Lives Matter or, uh, you know, more rights and opportunities for women and for, you um, maybe transgenders and you know the list goes on and on and i think we're you know that's something that is we're seeing a lot of but from the standpoint of elected officials it seems like the same old type of archetype politician gets put into place especially it's disappointing in a state like new york which is pretty progressive pretty liberal pretty open-minded and inviting how do these same type of individuals uh get to be in the position that they're in you know what you know i think everybody is pretty tired of these hearing these stories it's just so disappointing that this guy you know we don't you know i guess the, everyone has to have their day in court but you know at, at minimum it's like here we are again and it's the same old shit or like the bc boy said same old bullshit you know when is it going to change like if it's not changing if it hasn't changed when is it going to change and you know, what, what has to be done in order to, you know, how, how does this, we put an end to this going forward? I don't think anyone has an appetite for it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, Pete kind of touched on this. I mean, we still have sort of uh, most of the people in power today are still sort of this generation of, you know, older white men who kind of came up in a culture that is very different than what we think is acceptable 
now or, or that many of us um, think is acceptable now. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what the answer is. I would say just more, um, you know, women and more, you know, people from every walk of life and, and race and color, just having more opportunity to run for office. And I think one of the sort of sad things about how toxic sometimes social media can be now is that people might feel discouraged to put themselves out there in that way. Um, but hopefully, I mean, you know, we see in Georgia, there's people out there that are kind of getting, you know, the young people and, and um, you know, people of color out there to, to vote and to run for office. And hopefully, you know, we will start to see maybe some, you know, move away from that. I mean, you know, President Biden, maybe he'll be, I don't know if maybe he'll be the last sort of older white man representing the Democratic Party, you know, I think. We certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you have someone like Tulsi Gabbard on the card, who is a non-white woman who has government experience, extensive government experience, served in the military, is thoughtful, uh, empathetic, uh, from Generation X. You know, I heard her on a podcast with this guy that, uh, Scott, you're probably familiar with, Jocko Willink who's mm -hmm. a Navy SEAL. And it was a, I think it was an almost five hour interview. And I, I just said to myself, like, how could any reasonable adult not consider this woman for, she should be president as far as I was interested. I mean, she just ticked every box from uh, like, if you could dream up a candidate uh, for our, you know, contemporary time, she was it. And she didn't even register on the national stage. I mean, I would say most people uh, maybe I'm wrong. A lot. I would say majority of people don't even know who she is. Make no mistake, George. The the to me, it's a, another situation. The same thing that happened to Howard Dean. He yelled on stage. He was the Democratic front runner. Uh, what was it? Oh eight? No, not oh eight. Mm -hmm. Must have been oh two or oh four. Yeah, was... And um and and who did they put up there against Bush? Uh, was he... John Kerry. John Kerry, and it was over. And he and got just because the Democratic establishment didn't want this guy, the guy was a doctor. He probably would have been the best option at that time <laughs> to to take to take the reins. And and but no, he didn't. He didn't play ball with his own party. So as soon when whenever all of that happens, when it is when it's going to end, which is never going to end, because there's a whole new young crop of Gen X right wing nuts coming up as well so i mean i don't know I'm, that's that's my cynical side but. well maybe I'll, I'll take the the optimistic view of this <laughs> just to please just to get the other side of it which is i i think progress is it, it's a slow moving ship right and sometimes you take a step but it's imminent and then you take a step back and you, george you're right about it's 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 sort of disheartening to see hear about all these allegations against governor cuomo and it's the same old thing but it's also an environment now where many women feel comfortable, more comfortable coming forward with complaints than historically probably would have been the case. And you look at some of the prior, you know, sexual harassment allegations and those kinds of things that it came out five, 10, 15 years ago, and it was a lot more difficult for people to come out with that. And it was, it was a lot less accepted. And so even when you look at like somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, for example, okay, she didn't have much of a shot this time, but she got a hell of a lot more exposure. And the, the ability of younger generations to get their information from different sources and 
for people to get exposure who otherwise wouldn't historically have gotten it has, is only expanding and it's not getting smaller. And, you know, I think this window is closing. It's just not going to close overnight and it, it, you know, it may go back a little bit before it goes forward, but I think overall things are moving in the right direction. That's, that's the optimistic view. I don't know how accurate. Well, but I, I appreciate that for sure. Thank you. I always <laughs> felt that Trump was an overcorrect. I mean, that was the problem. We yeah. took, you know, we had eight years, we shoved a black president down the throat, transgender rule, you know, gay uh, agenda, all these wonderful progressive movements were happening all at once. And I think it just was so much for so many people to handle, particularly in the deep south, that, I mean, somebody like Trump had to come along and, and sort of autocorrect it. And it was like two steps back, three steps forward. And I, I, I agree. I believe progress is imminent. I like a lot, a lot of the young kids. I, I'm just as optimistic as him. I have a lot. You know, I'm 52. I'm a white man. It's time for my me and everybody above me that's white and male to die. So that's all I guess. <laughs> now, you know, I guess it's like, is it really that hard to be a decent human being? Like everybody knows right from wrong especially a guy with the experience, the pedigree, the etiquette, education that uh, Governor Cuomo has. I mean, it, I mean, is it that hard to, you, you know, to be decent? And, you know, like, it's just so fucking disappointing, if nothing else. Like, come on, man. Like, when is enough enough for you? When are you satisfied with enough, um, you know, power, privilege, um, access to pretty much whatever you want? you know at some point you just ask yourself is you know like you know when does it end it's just i i it's like it's a real head scratcher i guess well i gotta jump in because i would love you guys take being a having lived you guys all living on the east coast and i've been out on the west coast for a long time but when uh, chris christie shut down the beaches for his own personal use a few years back and the whole the George Washington Bridge Gate situation. Talk about egregious abuse of power. And I was always wondering what it would, I mean, I was just, I would, I would read the paper out here, just ah, get all mad. These assholes, they don't stop. They have everything, like George said, access to everything, but they can't be decent human beings. It's incredible, you know? But there's another guy, there's another guy who seized on the hurricane to help his image when he partnered up with Obama. So right. there's always a tragedy. <laughs> and I feel like there's a big ego involved to even get to these sort of levels of power as well. That sort of makes you a little bit shameless and kind of able to do something completely beyond the pale. And then still, you know, two weeks later, come back like nothing ever happened. Yeah, that's a great but, point. But too. George, to, to, to kind of get back to your question of, you know, don't people know right from wrong? I, I've said this many times. If people knew right from wrong, we wouldn't be in business. And or if they were, if they had the ability to act on it. And there would be no movies to make. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you're right. It's it's just you know, human nature trumps, I think, uh, common sense <laughs> far too often. And we, 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 we hear from people all the time and that we, we look at each other and we're like, you, you honestly can't make this shit up. You really can't. And so that's just, that's just the way it is. So it's disheartening. Yeah. Is, you know, are there things that you can try to do to hold people accountable and, and make changes to the extent possible? Yeah. You know, you got to just be willing to, to continue fighting on against it to the extent that you can. And, and, 
the, 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 the Christie's and Cuomo's and all these powerful people, I, I don't think enough is ever enough. I think that's the problem. It's ego. It goes all the way back, right? <laughs> Ego's been, been the problem for a very long time. And I, don't, I don't know if that ever goes away. Yeah, really. I guess just in closing, do we see this as, um, when does he survive his term in your view? Is, there, is he just going to ride this out and hopefully as time goes by, another story uh, captures everyone's attention and he is able to dodge this bullet or does this get severe enough where, I mean, I have to imagine he's built a long array of enemies along the way. And I'm sure there's getting back to the Shakespearean theme. If, you know, he's got to be in a Julius Caesar position where all his um, enemies are colluding. So, you know, are, 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 there's a lot of large talk behind his sleeping back. I would have to imagine. I don't, I don't necessarily see him resigning at this point, but I do think that he may do what, what I think he has suggested, which is that if the attorney general's investigation does conclude that he engaged in misconduct, then, then maybe at that point he would um, step down. I mean, I don't, you know, from I think what we see of his personality doesn't necessarily seem like he would do that, but at the same time, um, I think people in the state have a lot of respect for Letitia James, and and I kind of have this um, sense of her that maybe if they if they really come out with a full investigation that um, you know confirms all of these uh, allegations, that he may perhaps that would be the moment where he wouldn't have a lot of choice. Uh, George, you, you asked earlier about, you know, going to law school in, in Albany and speaking of governors stepping down, Elliot Spitzer spoke at my graduation when he was attorney general. Uh, and I, I, I listened to the guy speak and I was still somewhat naive, you know, 20 something. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this guy, this guy, he, this guy's going places. He's a, he's a really smart, aspirational uh, guy. And that was obviously before he was governor and before client number nine and all, all that stuff. But this is nothing new in New York, and, you know. Hopefully, it's, it's done its way out. But uh, speaking of uh, speaking of Elliot Spitzer, um, he that the film client number nine. I think of nothing else. Um, it just really highlighted how like articulate, intelligent, and how you know he really what he, the guy seemed like his heart was, and his actions were really. The, what you would want someone to be. He was taking on Wall Street. He was very, um, you know, for the common man, it seemed like. And then, you know, we all know what happened to him. I actually ran, I bumped into Elliot Spitzer on the streets in Midtown Manhattan one time. And I had just seen the movie and I, I, he was walking down the street. I'm like, holy shit, that's Elliot Spitzer. And of course, <laughs> I go up to the guy and I'm like, hey, man, I just, I really like that movie. He's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, hey, do you mind taking a picture? He's like, I usually only take pictures with pretty good. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, and we kind of chuckled and we took a picture and I'll, I'll post it with this. But um, oh, that's fantastic. Funny. Yeah. I mean, when you walk around in the city, um, you obviously have the, and you guys probably witness it a lot in Los Angeles. Like you never know who you're going to run into. And then I read in the store, the paper about a week later is that he sold some building for, I don't know, I want to say several million dollars so i think he landed on his feet i'm pretty I, I, if i'm not mistaken elliot spitzer came from pretty wealthy uh backgrounds he did yeah real estate yeah 
Yeah. So unfortunately, he was on a pretty high trajectory. Didn't work out, but uh, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> Maybe it's Spencer. Um, Glad you're worried about his. <laughs> All right, guys. So, um, having listened to your podcast, just going circling back to that a little bit, you guys talk about how there are these built-in legal uh, things that people can get out of trouble with, like NDAs and and um, not uh, you know payoffs and all that stuff. And it ma- it got me thinking about why is it that some people get away with certain things and other people's other people don't get away with it at all or a little bit. And there's all these varying degrees about all of this really fucked up behavior. But it seems to me the better lawyer you have or the better way you've set yourself up to be this, to, to do this shit, gets you off the hook. And how do we combat that? How does that, how do you, how, how do you fight against that? And as a lawyer, you know, what is thought of the lawyers in the, in your community and your peers that are setting these things up for these people nefariously, obviously, or is that kind of something you can't really talk about? Well, I guess I don't know if we can speak, speak to, well, maybe you had other lawyers setting it up sort of nefariously. I'm not asking, I am not asking you to, to name any names or anything like that. Just as a general, like, you know, there's, there's civil lawyers and it's pretty standard to have NDAs and all of that thing. But at what point do you cross the line and you're, you know, Michael Cohen doing that stuff? I mean, I don't What's the ethical line for a lawyer? Yeah, what's the ethical line? That's a, that's the simple, great way to put it, Roger. Yeah. Well, I think so. On on our side, which is is primarily the plaintiff side, I think your lawsuit is a good tool in bringing this kind of stuff into the open because that's a public process. So that's a way to, um, you know, for employees or or. You, or people who've suffered something like this outside of the workplace, that's a good tool to do something that um, is public and kind of holds people accountable sort of within that process. Um, in terms of, you know, on the other side of it with the NDAs and that type of thing, I think a lot of that um, should be addressed almost kind of before the lawyers and before the litigation stuff in more of kind of a corporate culture sort of thing. And I think we're starting to see that now where people are being selective in, and not everyone has this luxury, but selective in what types of companies are they working for? Does your company force you to sign um, forced arbitration agreements, which would mean that if you have a complaint of discrimination, you have to do it in this private forum instead of in a lawsuit. And I think we are starting to see people paying more attention to that and maybe um, having a little bit more as an employee kind of like bargaining power to not just agree to those. And, and some of the larger companies and, and also law firm employers are kind of being sort of publicly shamed away from forcing their employees to do that. It's, it's, probably, it's probably good to think about the historically how this would go. It used to be the case that 
if you were a high level powerful person and you were harassing people or doing kind of stuff from the work, you know, at work or outside work, frankly, that you shouldn't be doing. It was, and somebody made a complaint. It was all, it was always generally about the money. Right. And you were in this position where you had the resources and the, the power that you could put a lot of fear into the person making the complaint. And if you're the person making the complaint, you're staring at, if you were to file a lawsuit, years of something dragging out, resources that you don't have, and going up against some of the most powerful law firms in the country. And, and it's, it's very intimidating for those people. And so it was, it was historically the case that many people in those situations would, would take a payout because they felt like they had no other choice. And in, in conjunction with that, they would sign, they'd be, as a part of the deal, they would be asked to sign the confidentiality agreement. And this all sort of, a lot of this really blew up back around the, the, the Matt Lauer um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a bar. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. A lot of it blew up around, around those guys because what, what started to come out was that a lot of these companies and people in the high up of these companies knew what was going on and they squashed it. And it was because these people were making a lot of money for them. And so courts and state legislatures in particular have really started to become much more strict about the role that these confidentiality agreements are going to be allowed to play, particularly in sexual harassment cases. And they're becoming less of a, a tool that powerful people can use. I'm not going to say that they're gone because they're not, uh, but they've, they've modified it in a way that they're, it's not quite as effective as it used to be. And, and so, so good strides have been made in that regard in the workplace because of people in situations like Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer, which seem to be pretty egregious in both situations. And those guys seem to have gotten at least some form of punishment that seems suitable to the crime. However, there are people walking around like nothing ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, I just finished reading this book about uh, Stephen Cohen's hedge fund and about, and, and you walked away from it with this very sort of cynical view about how it's very challenging to punish some of the worst and most powerful people. It's, it's a very challenging thing to do. And, and we talked about this a little bit, Scott, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of us were talking about, you know, I think, I don't know, he might be an outlier. That Those guys got investigated by, I believe, the FBI, wasn't it? And yeah. nothing. No one could touch those guys. They're just, they're smarter, clever, more agile um, than everyone else. I, I should read the book. Uh, those guys' offices, you know, like 10 minutes from where I live. And uh, I know some people that work with those guys or have worked with them. And, you know, now... He owns the Mets, and you know who's on the board of directors with him? None other than Chris Christie. So <laughs> play all the hits, guys. Play the hits. Sort of, you know, the, and I won't, I won't go too deep in this, but the epilogue of that story, the, the writer is essentially starts laying out the characters, and what you find is that many of the people who were on the prosecuting side or the investigative side are now working in the private sector for the for the white shoe law firms and the finance and, and the hedge funds and and they just it, it's almost it almost reads as though they just sort of recognized that it was an exercise in futility and just walked away from it uh, and scott could you repeat the name of the could you repeat the name of the book again for everyone yeah, just called black edge black edge is that new did that just come out i think it came out a couple of years ago maybe okay pretty newish 
Yeah. Um, another uh, high-profile case that has been discussed a lot lately is this one particular situation with uh, just Deshaun Watson. For some folks who don't know who he is, he's a quarterback for the Houston Texans. And um, it's coming out more and more each day that he is another person who has been uh, alleged to have been involved in sexual misconduct. And it sounds like he had access to a lot of female uh, uh, masseuses. Is that the right word? Masseuses? I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that were treating him and he it's alleged that he tried to turn those into sexual encounters. Um, now there is a backstory to this, you know, he's uh, a player for a team that if you take a look at it for the last two or three years has some really bad uh, leadership has done some questionable um, things as far as uh, in the football world, whether it be trading, drafting, um, just very unusual hires and trading of high profile players. Uh, the departure of two really high profile players, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt, not to get too far into the weeds for people that don't follow the NFL, but these are two very high profile pr players that just wanted nothing to do with the team. And here they have a very um, talented quarterback, a young man who's probably set to become one of the highest paid players in professional sports. And similar to his former teammates, he's like, I really don't want anything to do with this organization. Uh, I'm out. Uh, I guess what compels a young man that is at the precipice of, you know, superstardom to just say, hey, I'm going to sit out a year. I'm going to miss a year of my prom. I'm going to say, I am not going to participate and play for this team. And once he does that, all these stories start coming out. And I'd be uh, interested to hear from um, Scott and Giovanna, you know, what your point of view is on this. Like, but, it, you know, just from the novice observer, all of a sudden, this cascade of poor behavior starts coming out like did no one know what was going on you, you know how if, if if the behavior was this egregious how was everybody able to keep this under wraps in today's mobile environment and and, and I don't want to sound um, dismissive because I, I know in all these situations innocent good people get hurt and it sounds like that could be the case here but I have to be somewhat skeptical you know, just knowing the story, the backstory that this guy just says, hey, fuck it. I'm not playing for you guys. I'm going to sit out and I don't care what happens to me. I don't care how much money I lose. I don't care how much money you lose. I don't care about the optics. I'm just not going to play. So what makes a young guy do that? And then all of a sudden these things start, you know, hitting uh, the corporate media. Well, I don't, I, I confess, I don't know too much of the details of the sort of his football career perspective of it, but I do think that we see, and we saw it with Governor Cuomo, and we've seen it with um, Brett Kavanaugh when he was nominated to the Supreme Court, that I do think that sometimes there are kind of moments in, in time that if someone, you know, assuming for the sake of argument that 
these allegations are, are true. And I think that when these allegations are made, we take them seriously and we, we approach them with the perspective of not guilty until proven innocent, but that we approach them that they're true and we investigate them and we believe them and the, the accused person is entitled to defend themselves. But I think it makes sense to me, and we've seen it happen before, that there could be some moment in time that might compel people to come forward that might not necessarily make sense to you know everyone else, but um, could be could you know when we look back on it and know all of the details that it it made sense for people to come forward um, at this time. You know, did that? What is this person being promoted or or considered for some super um, position of power or in in a professional athlete's case? You know. And, and again, I, I'm going off of my sort of vague knowledge of his situation, but could it be almost that his pristine reputation um, started to rub people the wrong way if they felt that maybe that wasn't accurate? And, um, you know, we don't really know what kind of causes people to come forward, but I think myself personally through our work and, and seeing a lot of this play out, um, you know, I think that it, some of these things can can make sense and have the, like the ring of truth to them. Um, you know, the more the more we learn about it and and kind of understand where you know where people are coming from and the timing of it. Yeah, and in this case, you have somebody who's up for this big you know on the precipice, as you said, of signing a massive contract, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising under those circumstances for for people to sort of say enough is enough with him, and we. We, who knows how long the lawyer was sitting on uh, these allegations? Uh, who knows? To answer your question about the team, could they have not known? It's hard to say. It, it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's a little bit different than the the Lauer Weinstein scenarios. Some most of the allegations that I've read about the Watson situation involve these sort of isolated incidents when he's he's mostly alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not he's not at a club. He's not out partying with other other players it's it's these kind of strange honestly situations where uh he's he's put himself in in these uh, these massage places and and he's put himself in uh a position to do these things without really anybody finding out about it if if indeed it happened and he's he's if it's true he's the targets are a population of people that one would probably assume if you were in his position, don't have a lot of power uh, and don't have much ability to to stand up for themselves. And so that's not at all uncommon in, in, in our world. We see that all the time, uh, that people with, with massive egos and big, strong personalities who do this kind of thing, and I'm not saying that he did or he didn't, but that they, they end up going after or whether consciously or not targeting people that they perceive as as not having the ability to stand up for themselves it it does beg the question though if this was going on and these allegations are true which we have no reason to believe they're not but what is the culpability of the organization if they did know about this in relationship to his own culpability in the situation, well, it would it would depend. I, I mean, I, we don't practice in Texas, so I don't know what the laws are down there necessarily. But 
the the other people are not employees of the organization. So in that context, the organization would probably be protected to some degree. Um, it, it would probably depend pretty heavily on what they knew and where where these things happened and to what extent he was. You know, in New York, ordinarily, you'd be act, if he were acting like within the scope of his job, then the organization could be on the hook for it. But uh, in this, in these cases, they're they're alleging intentional acts that occurred in these isolated situations. So, and and he's a guy with deep pockets, right? And so I don't know that they would even feel the need to go after Houston as an organization. Yeah. Do you find it disturbing at all that um, the the representative for all of these women in this civil case is a neighbor at minimum associate of the owner of the team. Is that, does that seem odd or is that just purely coincidental? I, so I, I actually read, yeah, I read an interview with the lawyer after you had mentioned that he, he said, look, I live up the street from the guy. I've never met him. I don't know him. I have no reason to believe that that that's not true. I think, I don't know, I don't know Houston much as a city, but I suspect that if, if this is a lawyer that is handling this many high profile cases against uh, a major athlete, he's, he's not two years out of law school and he's probably a pretty well-established, relatively prominent person. Well, I understand he was heavily involved with um, Rick Perry, who was a gentleman in uh, Texas politics at yeah. the national level who even ran for president. Yeah. I heard this uh, from what I've read that the uh, representative for the women is pretty dialed in, is pretty well known, has the ability to buy billboards. Um, yeah, to your point, you know, they may, you know, Houston is a big city. I'm sure these folks have a, at least an awareness of each other. It, it's just something to well, keep- Well, where is the Bel Air? of Houston, right? Where is the pocket of where all the rich people live? They all could be, you know, if you're in St. Louis, it's in one part of that town. Mm -hmm. Houston's big, but all the very wealthy people live in one small part of town. So but, you to know, that point, this lawyer is probably on the same money scale as the owner of the Houston Tech. I'm going to assume that this lawyer's got a pretty good reputation. And from what George, his background, it sounds like he's, he's, he's gotten pretty high up in, in his career. And when, when you're in that situation and someone comes to you as they do to us with these kinds of allegations, you make a, you're, you, you're doing your homework and you're making an, an investigation and you're making a, a, a determination as to credibility of the person who's making these allegations. And if the stories are continually the same and they hold up, you're staking your reputation when you go out on a limb, especially against somebody that, that's, that's this high profile. And he is certainly very cognizant of that. So, uh, you know, if, if, if he thought there was a real risk that these people, that, that they were all making it up and it was, it was all gonna blow up in his face, I, I think, and it's not always the case, but in most cases with, 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 with good, successful, reputable lawyers, they're, they're gonna, tread pretty cautiously before getting this deep into something like this yeah, yeah. that's not something that i really uh, considered but uh yeah reputational risk i mean i mean at the end of the day the lawyer is not going to put his name to something that uh he doesn't believe is credible i, I would imagine and, and this is also what i love about what you guys are doing with your which i think the potential of your podcast and what you were touching on is that you're giving people you're giving people kind of a straight avenue 
and let them think for themselves about information they're receiving. I mean, you know, Giovanna, you admit you were into Cuomo and 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 you you really you really fell for him and and liked it. I think there was a term homosexual <laughs> used, which I I'd never heard funny. of that before. But but I but, really appreciate that. I, I, your guys' podcast and what you have the opportunity to do and what I see and what you guys are doing with that is that you can lay it out in layman's terms, let people decide for themselves what's going on because now I think there's more of a need for that than there ever was. Thank you. And I, I think that is relevant, you know, to your um to the conversation about um this situation in Texas because sometimes we don't as lay people there would be no reason to kind of understand how sort of this civil justice system sort of works and you might say you know these people are filing lawsuits they just want money and and it's extortion and blackmail but um you know i think from our perspective obviously with what we do thinking that it's it's a valuable tool yes the civil justice system is designed to compensate you monetarily so that you know we're not out there being you know vigilantes when something bad happens to us but for me in this particular situation the fact that they have filed all these lawsuits does lend it i think a little bit more credibility because once you have put yourself into that system you're in the system you have evidence you you give your testimony under oath you have affidavits to the extent that evidence exists like i went to this massage parlor left you know he came to see me two weeks ago and well no actually he was in california you know that all will come out in the context of a lawsuit so it does put some burden on the people not only the lawyer but the people um you know the women themselves to hold them uh, accountable yeah, Giovanni, everything has a, to be completely verified. Yeah, absolutely. And Giovanni, yeah, great point. Giovanni, make a great point in that a lot of people don't realize, yeah, you can just say something, but the weight of signing your name and swearing before a court is a little different than just making a claim. So the fact that these people are going through that and they, they understand the weight of a false claim right i mean yeah. it gets real as soon as you open up that can it gets real and that 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 can also deter people from saying things that they want to say because they don't all of a sudden the realness and the and the legal weight of it all hits them and and it may deter them or it might commit them into something you know it's a significant weight and it it, it you're you're correct it does deter a lot of people because Giovanna was when she said is is accurate. You, when you get involved in a lawsuit, you're you're an open book, and the the bigger the case, the more the other side, whichever side you're on, the more the other side is going to try to tear you apart. And you can guarantee that the minute that these people, these women are identified because they haven't been so far, there's going to be private investigators. Every everything they've ever done is going to be torn out into the open. And so to to put you know to put yourself out there like that do people occasionally do that? And, you know, they've made the whole thing up, I suppose. Uh, but it's, you're going through, you, you know, you're willing to put, go to a lot of lengths if, if you're trying to do that for, for some kind of a payout. And so it's, it, you know, it's an interesting scenario. And I think the, you know, one of the reasons we started this podcast is because people, they, they see the headlines about a story like this. And I don't think they really understand because again, why would they, how, 
you know, how the sausage is really made and what this really looks like when you get into it, because it's long and it's, it's complex. And it's, you know, we have clients who call us, you know, all the time who are just devastated during, during litigation, because it's, it's so emotionally challenging. So uh, that's, that's how the real world actually works. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Scott, I've always known you to be a critical thinker. And, uh, you know, over the years, our conversations, uh, they mean a great deal to me in that, you know, you're always objective. And that's a key, uh, you, you know, there might be this, this distrust of lawyers in general as a kind of a cliche. But I'll tell you what, there are, I do believe there are good people out there. And by you guys, I, I mean, Giovanna, your newsletter, I, I read all the time. And I, I consider what your podcast is kind of an extension of that. I always love that your take on things. It, it I really, really appreciated that angle and that take on things. And I'm, I'm in full support of you guys continuing that because it is a mess out there. It is a mess in so many ways. And you guys are doing good in, in that regard. You have the right attitude because I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity in, in your field, but you're choosing to stay put, build your business in, in the fashion that you are. And you're speaking what you're walking, what you're talking, which is, we need more of that. I do believe in every, in every business, but appreciate that. Kudos to you. Yeah, um, Giovanna, uh, just if if we can pivot from uh, poor behavior that we've been talking a lot about, but to more uh, good behavior, I know that I see here. I think you are still a board member of the Saratoga Springs Preservation Foundation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can so you just talk a little bit? I just I was curious that you know with a lot of. Um, Recently, there's been a lot of blowback against some of these historical military figures and uh, historical figures, whether it be uh, Confederate soldiers or uh, what have you, renaming of schools. I know Saratoga Springs is pretty significant in the world of uh, the Revolutionary War. You know, there's a lot of battles. I think the actual surrender of the British Army took place in Saratoga Springs, didn't it? Did it not? Yeah, the first, the what, the first big victory, right? So yeah. Seventeen seventy-seven. Now, as far as historical pre, uh, preservation is is uh, concerned, has there has that criticism or detraction or um, uh, investigation into historical names and individuals has that uh, impacted Saratoga at all or not really? Is that more just a phenom down in uh, the Confederate states? Um, well, I, I don't think we've had it in Saratoga. In Saratoga, we actually did have a, a treasured um, Civil War era, mon era monument in Congress Park was toppled over the summer, but okay. remains a mystery, mystery um, why it happened. But that actually did have that's a sort of a good example. It's not of a, you know, Confederacy up here. It was actually right. a monument to Union soldiers who had volunteered, um, people from Saratoga. But it's kind of relevant to the conversation because that statue was actually erected in the years immediately following the end of the Civil War. So the statue itself had historical significance. 
Um, and I think in Albany, we've seen that, not nothing that I'm involved in personally, but in Albany, there's a statue of Philip Schuyler in front of City Hall that has been the subject of controversy because has sort of come to light that he was probably a slave owner and you know he's we got a little claim to fame in Albany because he's connected to Hamilton. Um, is that is he so, the guy that Schuylerville is named the, after? Yeah. You no, know, the 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 sisters, yeah, the he, father of the sisters. <laughs> And I'm relating everything to the musical at this point, and not not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know I'm, I I know I went off a little bit in a different direction, but can you just tell us about the work you're doing with the Preservation Foundation, and also about your work with Wellspring? You know, if uh, you have a couple of minutes to talk about that. Yeah. So the Preservation Foundation um, is really an sort of an advocacy organization to preserve the cultural and historic landscape in Saratoga and Do you guys I mean, ever talk about that the fact that you're living in a recession-proof town I was <laughs> just about to up? say that we so <laughs> we are fortunate I think to be probably one of not many upstate New York cities to still you know to see a lot of development and a lot of people moving here and a lot of people living here and people investing their money here but one of the roles of the Preservation Foundation is to kind of uh, regulate how that building is done in a way that we re retain our historic character in the city. So, you know, we do have a lot of new construction going up and that's something that they, um, you know, will step in and, and make sure that things are kind of staying within the character of the city are you talking about like like some of the carriage houses and, and that type of thing like around because there is a, it, it, I mean Saratoga Springs is very historically potent uh, it, it's a wonderful little town I know I personally know because I grew up nearby but are most cities have this preservation you know laws I, I mean I live in a building right now that they can't tear down the you know they can't really even do many modifications to it is that the type of thing that you're working towards with some yeah, of the buildings so the foundation is more you know in terms of advocacy and and the we have the city of saratoga itself does have laws that we can you know might have the opportunity to put our input into you know this building that's going up might not be in accordance with it and we have historic districts uh, within the town, residential, like we ourselves, our house is 160 years old. Um, wow. So you do have rules about what you can do. And, and you know, the, the foundation itself doesn't necessarily have the authority to, you know, come and shut you down if you're not following the rules, but they do kind of inform the city as to what maybe your the best practices should be to try to preserve, um, you know, what is left here as best as we can because the city did go through a period of urban renewal where they ripped a lot of like people who care about historic preservation you would like cry when you see what was taken down um so we we kind of want to preserve what we have left is your involvement in that because your home that you live in is old Do, was it inspired by that i mean that's 160 years old Do, if I have what right what you just said, you live in a house that's 160 years old. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and I th I don't think Scott and I have ever lived in a house together that was not that was built after the 
1800. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I just, we, we um, have always kind of been interested in the foundation and then the opportunities arose to join the board. So kind of was happy to do that. Fantastic. And can you get, can you give us a quick um, overview of your work with Wellspring? Yeah, so Wellspring um, is sort of an amazing organization in Saratoga that serves uh, survivors of domestic violence and people who are going through relationship and sexual abuse. And they, you know, provide a whole sort of range of services, finding people new housing, um, sort of programs to help you get back on your feet and become financially independent. Um, and that's, that's a really, um, you know, great organization here. They do a lot of, a lot of good work and it's really, there's been a big uptick, um, I think nationally of domestic violence during the pandemic. Um, so they've been super, uh, busy this whole time, still working, um, still going with people to the hospital, going to the police station. So they, they do a lot of, um, important work and, I'm, I'm very, you know, that's a proud to I would, be. I would imagine that that's a, an incredibly important thing, especially in a place like Saratoga, where, you know, large cities maybe have those resources, but I feel like your guys uh, traveling and, and you, you know, you've been around in your world awareness and your, in your, your understanding of what's going on in the world is driving you to pursue and push agendas like that, especially in places like Saratoga Springs, where maybe that would get left to the side. And I, I mean, to me, you're a hero for doing that. That's it's incredible. Yeah. So please keep going with that. That's that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's nice. It's comforting to know that uh, amidst all of uh, the bleakness that we keep reading about, that there's people like you guys uh, doing really positive work in the community and uh, you know, when you just read about people that take their um, power and um, they use their, you know, powers, for lack of a better word, or their capabilities for like nefarious reasons. And it's nice to know that you guys are doing something uh, just the opposite of that. You're doing something good for the community. So that's, I, I really appreciate that for, uh, speaking for myself and uh we really appreciate you guys we appreciate you guys coming on scott i can't let you leave without telling us uh what kind of music you're listening to because you're always piping in a good recommendation you got anything for the people out there before before you answer scott i will say i i bonded with you over the album animals by pink floyd and i will oh. always appreciate you for that it, it, to me, it's, it's a it's one of my favorites as always. It was, but you and I have actually had quite incredible, intelligent conversation uh, on the nuance of that album. Had to throw that in there, but please answer George. Well, yeah. Hey, wait, before you, can I throw a little Pink Floyd story in there too? Is that I know when you got married that these um... classic rock stories, boys, driving me absolutely fucking nuts. We're waiting. I, I know we're all going to have to wait for Ro shit. we're going to have to wait for Roger's uh, Pink Floyd story, but I remember <laughs> when uh, you guys got married that you guys, uh, Scott, you referenced uh, on the turning away uh, in as part of uh, the ceremony, correct? That's right, I yeah, did. Well, 
But I, whenever I hear that song, I just think of you and I uh, just always say, oh, man, I just fucking love this song. It's so good. And it's a non uh, it, it's a post Roger Waters era song. And uh, I know that Pink Floyd got heavily into the uh, electric drums and production, but it's a really good song. And I think uh, it's a positive <laughs> message. And I yeah, know that so. I know Roger really appreciates that. Maybe not as much <laughs> as he appreciates uh Maybe a rat song or Giovanna. Uh, <laughs> we keep Roger around so that at the end of the podcast we can reference old classic rock, and he can squirm in his chair. <laughs> Nor Roger with uh, rock and roll songs he does not like. But one day, one day, I have nothing wrong. I have nothing against Pink Floyd. <laughs> It's just that everybody's heard that shit a million times. <laughs> and to mind that well over and over and over. It'd be much more interesting if we're talking about Towns Van Zandt or something like that. You have a good point there. We can do uh, So Pete, I actually thing. listened to I listened to two albums today. Uh, one was a, a Coltrane 59 live album. There you album. go. There you somebody go. just which was awesome. And then in anticipation of the interview, I listened to Animals in the Car and the Ride. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I still, I still uh, hold my belief that animals portrays society uh, collectively in a in a bleak but very realistic way than almost any other album that ever has been written. So uh, it got me through uh, during the during the dark times of the pandemic. I was listening to a lot of animals, and then uh, you know, uh, as 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 things have improved maybe mixing some some Coltrane or some some more some more uh you know modern modern stuff too but oh well let me tell you man I mean I appreciate that incredibly because I have been labeling people pigs dogs or sheep <laughs> for the last year as well and I mean this is a collection of dogs right here and I'm really 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 proud to say that I really I mean I really really am proud to say that yeah <laughs> well, um, we're we appreciate your time and uh, tell the people. George, I think, Roger has, I think Roger has a closing remark. I, I did want to have one question here. Did you guys, have you ever seen the 1959 auto premature film Anatomy of a Murder? No. I don't think so. It's a courtroom procedural that they used to use. They used to show that film in college when you were going to law school as a, a prime example of, I mean, how it's done. It's one of the few films, and in 1959, it was very racy because he used the word panties and ejaculate <laughs> and all these, you know, it had terms that were very racy in 1959. And, you know, it was nominated for eight Oscars. Jimmy Stewart's the, uh, the plays against type as this uh, bumble, as a sort of a country lawyer, but he's very sharp and very witty. Anyway, I just saw it on Turner Classic Movies recently. Thought of you guys, definitely recommend it. Highly, I mean, highly recommend it. At some point, you guys should watch it, especially for lawyers. Yeah, we'll check it Anatomy, out. Anatomy of a Murder by Otto Preminger. And uh, there you go. You know, I, I think our time is almost up here. But Pete, I know uh, you're you're holding on to the citrus. Please give that a couple of taps. Uh, let's walk out of this room very slowly. We don't want to alert any attention to ourselves. So, Giovanna, uh, Scott, thank <laughs> so you, <dumb>. Roger. Um, <laughs> Appreciate everything in Pete. Um, That's George the Wizard of Rock Curse. Uh, we bid you adieu and uh, we'll see you on the next $5 bus. Thanks, guys. See you guys soon. Thanks. Peace.